This is our family like the ghost. I have uh, the sound of modesty on, right, Yvonne? Hello. Yes, that's doing? me. So, um, yeah, I like to always do a little introduction. Go for it. So, yeah, I'm Fan Electric Ghost. I'm an indie song producer and electronic musician. And I've been interviewing artists around the world since 2018. And Anchor FM is part of Spotify. And we have about 23,000 fans right now. Um, so we're glad to have you on the program. You're, you're um, calling in from London? Yep, that's right. Great. So you're going to art school, music school, right? Yeah, up in up in Leeds. Oh, yeah. Stuff. One of my favorite um, albums of all time is the Who's Live at Leeds. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let me get into uh, all the questions I sent you. Awesome. So when did you first get into music? Like, what age did you actually get into it? Um, well, I'd say it started when I was five, when my parents decided that I should be taking piano lessons with my sisters. Um, So I was classically trained in that. And then I got into violin as well at a later time, but I didn't really get into like, like, you know, popular music with like guitars and drums until I was like just starting high school really with drums. So I'd say that's when that all kicked off. That's awesome. So you were like a teenager when you got into the drums. I saw that you actually, you know, you learned piano, but you also have on your bio that you learned drums, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, before I learned the drums, I was very much into like, like, you know, the stuff you hear on the charts, like pop music and all that. Yeah, but yeah. then when I got into drums and I also met my friends, I also started like hearing like all this indie music that I'd never heard before because you know charts yeah. and stuff yeah. and that just opened a whole new world for me that's interesting because I, I I'm I'll show my age I'm 52 I grew up with college radio right so I was around to hear like I you know REM on IRS records their first stuff before they went to Warner's and you know I used to listen to like Lou Reed the Velvet Underground because college radio was really great because it didn't play the pop music it played bands like rem or bands like the replacements or bands like you know the Velvet Underground. yeah the stuff so then i got an appreciation because i was classically trained on the clarinet the clarinet oh that's amazing like, but you can't really write music on the clarinet well you can write classical music. <laughs> but so i i started you know with a, like a cz 101 casio synthesizer and then i moved up to a roland d5 which was like a dumbed down version of a D50, if you know their history, but that was back in the eighties. Um, and I just really was always inspired by a punk aesthetic, even though I'm a keyboard player. Mm-hmm. So I love bands like the clash and the sex pistols and joy division and new wave stuff. So it's interesting. Like you said, you, you started classical and you got the drums that kind of brought you into that indie world, which is pretty cool. Yeah, totally. I, so, um, You've been working on music since you were very young then, from from doing, you know, classical to, you know, getting into the indie scene. So when did you realize that you wanted to write your own music? Because when I talk to a lot of artists, it's like there's certain artists that they never choose to do their own music. And then others that become singer-songwriters or producers and, you know, composers. What made you feel like you had had that bent to go that way? Well, I'd say that if people know me then they know that I'm kind of a control freak and that I kind of just want control over everything in my life that's creative so when I was in my band once we could kill you and I was drumming for them we were doing covers and the sorts you know like how how bands start out before yeah, yeah, they develop their sound the cover, yeah cover bands how you start usually yeah <laughs> and then I sort of I like I really enjoyed doing the covers but I also there was part of me that was like Mm, I, I I wish I'd just do my own stuff so then I could you know like have like the final creative say on it instead of just copying someone else's work so I sat down at my piano this was like Christmas of 2016 and I was like okay today I'm finally gonna write a song and I ended up writing a really horribly horribly cheesy Christmas song <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's sort of how my songwriting career started now i'm a i'm a keyboard player so i have a big love for like synthesizers and 
and keyboards. And I, I decided, like I said, I started on clarinet and I was like, well, I can't really write songs like this. And I was in a band as well. Mm. And I was kind of like the songwriter for the band. Luckily, cut out with the keyboardist. So I was able to write like all the parts. Can like the right bass line, like the right chords, like the right, you know, all everything. You know, I could even do the drums because I had synth. <laughs> so I could, I could, I'd come to the practice and I had these sketches already done, you know, and then I wouldn't be like Pete Towns. I wouldn't force everybody to do exactly what I want, what the way I wrote it. I would say, well, the bass player can, can interpret it and do a better line. The drummer's going to take this drum machine line and make it way better, but it gives them an idea where we want to go. Oh, totally. I mean, this... yeah, that's what. Yeah, and that was back before you had anything other than a Tascam. There was no DAW. So I'd have a Tascam 4-tracker, <laughs> and I'd put it down on that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, now everybody's got DAWs. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. It, 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 songwriters either start with a piano or a guitar. Have you done, like, both? Have you gone write, wrote, wrote songs on a piano and a guitar and now probably on a DAW? Yes, I started with piano, and then I sort of transitioned to guitar because that was – easier for me to sort of like write rhythmically whereas piano was more like everything was a ballad at least for the first like maybe few years and then I transitioned into just like doing like melodies in my head with just singing them sometimes even playing the violin to sort of figure out some some nice ostinatos and all that jazz yeah that's but cool I think that's what's so great about like collaborating with other musicians though because then they come up with stuff based on your stuff that you you would have never imagined. Yeah, that's like one thing. It's good. One of my big frustrations as a keyboard player, I wanted to learn guitar, and my brother was able to pick up a guitar. He had a Fender Strat, and he just he just picked it up. And I tried for like two years, and I was like, "Well, I can't really get it. I can't get it for some reason." But I was, you know, I was able to pick up the piano, and then I was able to get the keyboards. And I kind of because I was a frustrated you know, keyboards that want to be a guitar player. Oh. I, I, I found a way to make my keyboard sound like guitar. <laughs> <laughs> and I found a way to be actually right for guitars that normally like keyboard players, like you would tend to go with a ballad. You would tend to write like the journey type of song or like an Eagle ballad or something like that. But I was always like, I wanted to write like Hendrix, you know, I wanted to play like Paige. I wanted to be like, you know, or if I wanted to do anything else, I'd try to bring in Coltrane or Sun Ra or Davis into it. So that was always trying to make, make it sound not like a keyboard. <laughs> it's like something else. <laughs> oh, um, I totally feel that. I totally feel that. Like yeah, when I started yeah, so... piano, I was listening to, I think it was like Neutral Milk Hotel, um, a bit of Joy Division as well, like Modest Mouse, like oh. the really hard guitar stuff. And I was just like fiddling away at my keys <laughs> trying to figure out how to do that. Yeah, disorder is like I, I spent a lot of time trying to get my Roland and my Moog to, to do disorder. Cause because like, you know, I was like I was like I, I love the way that song is structured. And it to me it was like I love I mean I love the clash. I love the sex pistols, but Joy Division really kinda I zoned in on it. Cause it was like okay, it was like low like craft work, but it's more post punk and it's kind of this goth kind of new wave thing that new order became but you know it's just it's kind of this intersection between this kind of stark kind of production which i always like i kind of like that kind of production you know maybe you can hear that in the ghost but uh <laughs> but um so what are your influences i know they you have bjork and some other people down i actually hear like laurie anderson and suzanne vega but maybe you can talk more about your influences um, yeah, so I'd say, like, whenever people ask me this question, I list my top three, which is uh, Mitski. She's currently in the indie rock scene. Bjork. I mean, we all know Bjork, so <laughs> no need to explain that. And um, and Regina Spector as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hear, I hear her. But I also hear a lot of, like, um, Suzanne Vega. I don't know if you ever got into her. I, I don't think I know her. Yeah, Suzanne Vega had a hit in the 80s. She was an indie musician. She had a song called Luca. Luca was her big hit. And if you ever listen, go go listen to Luca. You, your way you sing, if you have never heard it, it's kind of weird. You've kind of picked up uh, her style. She's like a singer-songwriter. does these very ev evocative personal stories. Luca is actually about domestic abuse. Oh. Um, and it's, it's, it was a hit. It was a top 10 hit. But she never really had anything after that. But she was an electronic artist, but she also played guitar. 
and that's that was more of a more of a guitar focused song, but it had electronic little blips and beeps around it. But um, yeah, it was just a you 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 really sound not like you're trying to sound like her, but I could see you're in the same space that she was in. Oh, that's which awesome! Is really cool. Yeah, really I have cool. to check her out. Suzanne Vega. Yeah, she's really cool. He was like, it was you know, it kind of shows my age. It was big. He had a big top ten hit in uh you know from her album called solitude standing it was called luca um and it's a, a pretty cool song awesome yeah another big song called tom's diner it's been remade a couple times but um yeah so that's cool so your writing style is like was like where you would say it's electronica or uh, synth wave or kind of indie you know alternative because i hear like a lot of different things like some of your older records i hear like the guitar and i hear the the synths but it's not the same for every song. You've got different styles. Yeah, yeah. So usually whenever someone asks me the question, I go indie alternative pop rock. Um, and I just hope that covers all bases. <laughs> but yeah, I'd say yeah. like recently I've been really sort of just dipping my toes into a lot of different genres to sort of find what my sound is. Because although I most identify with um, writing like in the alternative genre, because, you know, alternative is such, like, a broad term that can encompass so many different styles. Yeah, yeah. I think that, like, I've been dipping into a lot of electronic and a lot of, um, like, J-pop elements as well in my more recent stuff, which is still to come out, so. Yeah, yeah. I, I started a little bit of J-pop. I hear the electronic. Like, I'm a big modular synthesis. You know, I'm kind of a dawless recorder, um, producer. Because I kind of grew up, like I said, with the Tascam, and and when the Dawes came around, I was kind of restricting, and I I kind of like, you know even though it's like it opens up a lot, it like opened up like too much, and so oh I, yeah, <laughs> I I like the idea like I have modes like I have grandmothers and mother thirty twos and D fams and and the thing about those instruments is they have limitations, but the limitations within those limitations of like, oh, I can't MIDI control it on the grid exactly the way I maybe want to, you control it with the, the, the like, the surface controls on, a, on an analog synth. And if you've ever gotten into them, but they're kind of like playing like aspects of a real instrument. And if you go into a DAW and you're on a grid on your computer, you can't grab the ladder filter and turn it and turn another knob at the same time and put a CV line into another thing. The kind of like uh, point in time uh, expression that, that you can capture on tape, but it's hard to capture as a MIDI control because you're actually changing the tone of the instrument in real time. And some of those things you can't capture unless you like record it in real time. And I've always been very much a person that likes to do that kind of experimentation, like, you know, but I know today there's a lot of capability with the DAWs, but I, I like the kind of rawness of analog in the tradition of like the original electronic musicians. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so when you record with electronic, are you primarily focused on, on, on hardware sense or DAWs or software sense? Um, well, I don't have much hardware right now since I'm still a student. So I'm slowly just growing my collection. But um, yeah, I'm mostly working through a door right now. So in school, do you have access to like hardware sense? A few, yeah, but I haven't really dipped my toes into there yet because a part of me is kind of, kind of scared to go that far because I'm still <laughs> trying to figure out what I'm doing with the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just a different, different type of thing. I, I would always recommend any musician that's a singer-songwriter if you if you once you dive in, they're kind of intimidating, you know, because there's so many things on them. They look like you shouldn't touch them. Mm. <laughs> but but like once you actually as a musician, and especially since you're going to school, there's so many musical theories you can work out on these machines that uh, I always recommend people if they get access to one, you should try them as much as you can. <laughs> oh, definitely. Now that this coronavirus thing has happened, as soon as as soon as school opens up, I'm there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of is limiting because that's one of the things I, I talked to a lot of bands uh, in the last couple of weeks. And some of them were on the way to a recording studio and now they can't do it. Um, and so some of them are kind of, some of them are happy that they had invested in their own own home studios 
mm. that actually do have gear where they could actually still put down a lot. And others are like, oh, wow, we probably kind of we kind of assumed we could always go to the studio and they're kind of rethinking, you know, what, what their approach should be. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I have I have friends who are completely like cut off from music because they've completely like relied on like school facilities and stuff. And it's it's just dreadful. Yeah, it's hard. Like, I mean, some of it is like if you have a Mac and a MIDI keyboard, you can still do a lot in main stage or you can do stuff in LFL studio. But, you know, if you were depending on actually going to a full recording board and using, you know, the instruments in the studio, I, there's a lot of bands I've talked to, like, what well, they're kind of dependent on using the equipment in like studios in California or London or wherever they are, and then they can't get to them. And so they've had to try to figure out you know, how to navigate. And some of them are doing like, you know, live streams on Twitch and Facebook with acoustic guitars and trying to do kind of like um, unplugged performances. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They kind of get to engage their fans, let their fans know they're still around. Um, so have you played live um, with the, the work you do as your, as your um, sound of modesty, or are you just getting ready to do that? Um, I've played live a couple of times in my hometown, but I haven't really had an official headline as of yet since I'm still working on releasing my debut album. But I do have a, um upcoming show coming up. Cool. Um, on, well, the date hasn't been rescheduled yet because of, thanks, COVID. Um, but I'll be supporting Josh Aitken at LS6 in Leeds. Cool. Yeah. So, so that's actually what, in London? Um, no, up in Leeds. In Leeds, oh cool, yeah. So that's great. That's awesome. Yeah, it's like it's hard to get. Like I've I've been starting to talk to some bookers. They're trying to figure out how they're gonna do anything because there's still a lot of places that are still locked down. Um, and a lot of a lot of places in the U.S. They're like music is like the last thing they're gonna allow. <laughs> oh yeah. They're like, oh no, we're not doing that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I find it's quite ironic that. Hello, hi. <laughs> Sorry, that's my mom. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, um, as I was saying, I find it quite ironic that even though, like, the arts in education have had, like, the least funding, like, just generally, like, in the US and the UK, like, the arts are what people are turning to now to stay sane. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it, yeah, I mean, so many bands are, are, are engaging their fans, you know, on Instagram. I see live streams all the time. I've been doing it myself and it's like you know that's how people get through with music you know bands been releasing albums that <clears throat> they maybe weren't going to release and they're just putting them out you know and they're, and they're engaging with their fandom I saw George Clinton from Funkadelic with Snoop Dogg on a on a live Instagram and they were just talking for like an hour mm, that's to, great. to their fans and it was just really cool to see them at like real people in their houses just talking <laughs> yeah and it was funny because Snoop Dogg was like a, such a big fan of, of Parliament that he was just like being a fanboy uh, to George. <laughs> and and he was like, it's like, you know, he's a big star in his own right. But George is like a big funk icon like James Brown. And, um, you know, he would seem like he was like such a fan, even though he's an artist in his own right. So it's interesting to see that kind of dynamic. Um, yeah, so you get to see a lot of interesting things now because of the situation. People have to modify. So I think I'll ask the question. Like, so if, if you're, do you have a, a strategy because of what's going on? Have you decided, well, maybe I should make more videos or I should do live online uh, events or work with people who are doing online festivals? Have you looked into that? Um, well, my strategy going into COVID at the moment is that I've just been working on finishing my album. Um since I don't really have like my bandmates anymore or like a, a proper studio I've just been um sort of trying to figure out how to do that and working a lot more on my social media presence now that I have all this time on my hands mm -hmm. yeah so like are you thinking that you would engage your fans and like um you know just like unplug things or just like showing them who you are or maybe reading off lyrics i've seen all different strategies of people are like oh i'm going to discuss my lyrics or i'm going to show people like a demo or i'm going to you know so this different strategies to like engage oh yeah definitely um well 
aside from obviously releasing more music i'd say like my biggest strategy at the moment is to just interact with people like on a personal level and just mm-hmm. just get to know my fans better really yeah because i've seen a band i know from colorado called tennis and their lead singer was kind of just engaging and talking about cooking i <laughs> <laughs> was talking about like how she had her favorite recipe and she was talking about it for like a half hour and i was like but the fans were engaged because like well you know they, they, they get to see her as a real person not just the lead singer of the band and that's kind of cool um so there's different ways you can engage it's like well even if you can't do you know x you could do y you could do something else so that's you know i think we're creative people so we tend to find things out find ways to get around totally um so so we talked about uh the process of how you record so what is your favorite digital audio workstation when you're working on your production um on my production i have to say logic pro x only because that's the one i'm most comfortable with at the moment like i've dabbled in ableton and a little Mm -hmm. bit of pro tools like in the past but i think just because like the whole process of songwriting is at least to me about capturing a moment and that can so easily slip away sometimes i think that being able to get the idea down quickly or at least translate it into um like a, a daw is so important so yeah so like different approaches like i would just like my approach is i, I use like a digital recorder i use a zoom r24 the 24 track recorder and it's kind of like having a tape machine and one of the things with analog sense is like you kind of want to capture the tones or timbres that because they you kind of run the tape it's kind of like an old strategy back in the 70s when bands went to the studio they just run the tape continuously because they didn't know what they were going to get and then they go back and, and splice things and put things on top of each other and i've kind of been a big uh i like doing recording like that and later i'll go back and refine things and maybe bring it into a DAW. But I find that being able to continuously record on my instruments, like if you're at a piano or guitar, you can continuously record it and then pick the ideas out of like an hour long tape. And then you say, oh, I had the song idea here at 10 minutes into it or 20 minutes into it. And that's just the way I like to work. And I find Dodge sometimes like you can do that, but it tends to be you have to have like more complete thoughts. And you can experiment, but I just like the kind of kind of jazz oriented style of um, recording. So when you use your dog, do you have complete like musical ideas going into it or you kind of work them out as you're doing a session? Um, well, it really depends on the song because it changes a lot of the time. Like sometimes I'll have like a song that I've completely realized and finished just like like maybe on my guitar and then I just do my best to translate it or sometimes like I'm just messing around in the door and I come up with this really like cool sounding thing and I'm just like, oh my god, how can I realize this and make it the best possible thing it can be? So Yeah, that's the cool. I mean the things like like sequencers. Like I'm a big fan of sequencers because like if you take a, a really a nice sequencer like a like a beat step pro or like a Moog analog sequencer and you just start fiddling with your synthesizers sometimes those sequences can lead you down a rabbit hole or they can lead to something really cool. And, you know, it's like when you're using like a drum machine, like a TRS drum sequencer, it, this allows you to create things that maybe you physically couldn't play, but you can actually get the system or the sequencer to help you come up with a musical idea that might be even hard to play physically, but you can come up with it on these machines. Oh, de- definitely. Like sometimes I'll be in my door and I'll come with like a, a really great piano line and I'll put it into MIDI and then I'll just stack piano lines on top of piano lines with overlapping ranges until like it's completely impossible yeah. to play, like unless I had maybe 10 hands. <laughs> but I, I totally get that. It's just there's so much yeah. flexibility with like digital mediums that sometimes you can't achieve with playing playing an action yeah it's like the idea of like if you use like granular synthesis or your additive synthesis or you know subtractive synthesis you know i'm a synthesizer guy so if you go into something with granular synthesis you, you, you go and you do a field recording of something like you know a bottle or noise and then you turn it into a pad 
and then you could actually sample it, tear it apart, and then kind of have like you know different parts of it, uh, you know different frequencies crashing into each other or having things go backwards or forwards or inside out. And that's kind of the nature of experimental electronic music. We just try to deconstruct everything. You take something and then you try to tear it apart. <laughs> Oh, that um, sounds awesome. And try to get something musical out of it, but but the fun is kind of taking something simple and then making it more complex, or something complex and making it more simple, or you know, doing different grades of shades of gray in that. Oh, that's that's <laughs> definitely where the best ideas come from. Yeah, I was a big fan of Brian Eno. You know, I still am. You know, that type of production. You know, if you look at George Martin, Brian Eno, you know, looking at bands like Sun Ra. Uh, and Lou Reed, the simplicity of the stuff he did um, is just like how I, I tend to go after certain uh, elements of music. So like your big, uh, you're talking about Bjork and you talked about some of the other, um, your influences. So when you get, go into a song, do you particularly just let it kind of come from the muse or do you say, well, I want to do something that sounds like this or you just kind of, the song just comes to you and you don't really, maybe it ends up sounding like something because you have influences and you kind of subconsciously pull them in? Or do you specifically say, I want to do this, like like this type of style, or do you, you just kind of find, it just find you? I'd like, to, I'd like to think that I find me, that sometimes I'll end up writing songs and then like I'll go to sleep and I'll wake up and I'll listen back to it. It's like, oh my God, I just completely copied that artist. What am I doing? Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, most of the time I just try to, like I, I enjoy being influenced by like other musicians and sounds as well. But I think when it comes to my music, I have to like stop listening to like other music for a while while I'm making that song and just focus on what I think sounds cool and what I think really speaks to the song. Yeah, cause I like I like a lot of the tracks on "Eye of the Cauldron of the Morning." The morning. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Can be. A lot of those have that kind of Susanna Vega feel, which you you know you haven't heard her, but the way that those songs kind of go together, and and the sound of them has that kind of college radio indie songwriter uh, thing that was going on back then. There was a lot of female indie songwriters between like Liz Fair and Juliana Hatfield, you know, Tori Amos. There's there's this whole, you know, when I was, you know, in that period of time, there was these all these great female singer-songwriters. And they were challenging, you know, the, you know, the whole icon kind of thing of like, oh, Dylan. Everybody's got to be like Dylan. Everybody's got to be like Springsteen. Everybody's got to be like, you know, Paul and, and John Lennon. And then all these great female singer-songwriters started coming around. And I've been really keying into a lot of the work that they've done, for, you know, Sleet or Keeney. Uh, you know, there's like really awesome you know, Liz Fair, I was totally caught up in Liz Fair's Exile Guyville. I don't know if you've ever gotten to her, but she she was just a really uh, interesting songwriter. And she had this kind of strategy that, you know, you could kind of don't have to be pitch perfect. You don't have to be Mariah Carey. You don't have to be Whitney Houston. You can be like Dylan. You know, you don't have to have the most, you know, perfect voice. But the, the honesty of being a singer-songwriter in your content will drive people because of what you're saying and what That's you're saying. That's such a good message. Yeah, I've always been kind of, you know, you know the top 10 kind of dictates people have to have five octave voices. They have to have pitch perfect voices. They've got to be the perfectness. But I've always been drawn to the imperfections and the happy accidents of like classic music. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, if you go back and listen to like progressive bands like Yes and Genesis, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, you know, it, it's the nature of, uh, you know, the happy accidents that caused some of the great, greatest songs that ever be written or because people weren't trying to, you know, make them perfect. Totally. Like, I think that's something uh, that's really being overlooked nowadays, especially with, like, the rise in, like, the accessibility of music software and things like autotune where, like, especially in charts, like, everyone is, like, so conditioned to sounding perfect that like it's so easy now to just just get rid of that the, the imperfections that sort of make music what it is yeah because i was working on a project and i kind of decided that i wasn't going to work on it anymore 
and the person's goal was to every time I brought them something that was kind of really experimental or kind of like doing something a little off kilter just to be a little you know mm-hmm. different they were trying to get me to do it like exactly like something that's in the top 50 mm-hmm. and after a while I'm like that's not really me <laughs> and you know you can commercially make money if you cho- choose to do that but I'm I don't necessarily I want my art to sound a certain way and if I put myself on a project I want to bring that to to the table and if somebody basically wants to put me into a different category and make all my stuff become not what the way I would do it, it then you. I'm like well you know you need some, yeah you need somebody else because like you picked me because I have this sound and now you want me to sound like somebody else <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I was like no I'm not gonna do that and it's like there's so many artists that like I guess they get forced into doing that and they do it but but I always been drawn to indie artists that have have that kind of you know that honest of what you're doing like what you did with I in the cold room of the morning I love that's what I I live for finding artists that do work like that that's the kind of work I like to hear yeah I mean <laughs> like coming from like because I'm studying music at the moment in uni like songwriting specifically so a lot of the times like we'll get different briefs like oh you need to write in this very specific style and you'll have producers come in saying, oh, it needs to be really polished and perfect. And, like, I could do that. But then part of me is also, like, that's not true to my songwriting style, even if I am writing for other people. So I always try and mm-hmm. I'll kill to that somehow. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, I think the, the, the big challenge is, you know, you want to get published. You want to work with people. There's a certain, like, I, it's, I guess I got a certain way. I've worked with artists. They have heard the way I sound and they want they want what I'm doing to bring it to the table. And I understand, well, okay, it something doesn't work because it doesn't yeah. work, right? But 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 if you're they're still willing to hear like maybe the you give them seven takes and the fifth take is in the style you want, but it actually finally locks into what they were doing. And that's a matter of just like, you know, syncing up with somebody and doing it. But it's not like they're gonna say, Well, go go and sound like Glenn Fry. <laughs> We're going to sound like Madonna or go sound like it's like, well, I don't want to do that. Um, uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's like kind of a balancing act, but you know, within any kind of band, it's just a matter of like locking in with people. And it's really hard because most of my collaborations have been long distance. And I used to, you know, like back in the 70s and the 80s, you could go in the studio and you could just be in the studio and, and get it because you're with them, you're physically yeah. there. Uh, a lot of projects I've done you know, you have to keep on sending multiple versions of things because it can't be physically in the same space. Um, it's not impossible, but it's like it takes a lot longer than if I was oh, actually definitely. there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's something to be said about collaborating and, like, getting to meet the person while you're making the music because I think that while it's great that social media has allowed so many different musicians from across the world to connect, I think there's something... There's something quite distant at the same time, if, if you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. the only way I solved it, I actually started having like Skype and Zoom meetings. And then, you know, in those real time meetings, I actually have my hardware hooked up so I could like, well, here's a baseline. Do you like it? So I could get immediate feedback. That's great. Right. And it's like doing that. He's like, well, okay, I've always wanted somebody to build an Ableton type DAW that could allow you to real time record with somebody, right? So if you're in your Ableton and you're there in their Ableton, you could collaborate in real time. Oh, that would be amazing. I think that would change music to be more like when you're, you know, Fleetwood Mac were in, you know, Sound City and they were, they were kind of working things out. You know, they were able to like, oh, I'm hearing this piano line coming. From, from the piano player and I suddenly the drummer changes what they're doing because of what the chord progression is and that is hard to happen sequentially it kind of have to happen in real time and if you could have a dog that does that I'm an IT guy I've been proposing this for a long time <laughs> <laughs> but but it's I think would in this kind of age with corona and even because the distance of people doing these long distance collaborations that would be like a really amazing thing to have that 
I think that would really bring a new age of music if people could do that. Oh, definitely. That sounds like a like a million dollar idea. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to get it done, but you know, nobody seems to be as interested in it because they're. <laughs> It's, I think people would want to do it, but it's like there's a lot of issues with latency and, you know, the way the internet works and all kinds of other things would have to get solved. Maybe 5G might solve more of it. But yeah. um, but it's um, interesting um, to see what, what you what do you think of one of the questions I always ask about about streaming services? I mean, cause we're able to talk because of these type of services. Um, but as a musician, what, how do you feel? about the Spotify's and Apple Music's and titles? And what what are your feelings about the advantages and disadvantages of these systems? Well, I think it's quite bittersweet because on the one hand, like, like the whole, the whole idea of streaming is amazing. And I wouldn't have like the taste in music that I have now. Like, like, I'd still probably like be listening to like, maybe a lot of the early indie stuff and like whatever was on the charts if it weren't for streaming but i think it's there's something quite sad about it as well because like um i'm a big fan of the album as a format and i think a, a lot of that has been overshadowed by like the sort of the push for singles and the push for like getting as many streams as possible in a single song and i think i think yeah something's been lost with with that yeah, I think the playlist, um, like age of the playlist, kind of reminds me of the 50s. Like in the 50s, everything was single oriented, mm. right? Like everybody just had singles and 45s and 78s. And eventually their hits were compiled into albums that were kind of like didn't really have themes. They, they were just songs slapped together because they were hits. Yeah. <laughs> um, they came from the singles. And it kind of feels like we're in that kind of age again. And the Beatles, they kind of, they really brought the album format into focus. Because they started writing, even if Sgt. Peppers isn't really a coherent concept, it's just an album that flows. Um, you know, and then you start getting bands that actually take that concept and, you know, like the Pink Floyds of the world, um, you know, the Yeses, the Genesis, everybody starts writing albums. And even like Carole King, you know, Tapestry, if you you get albums that have themes, you know, Dylan, all the great 70s albums. They have, they, uh, I grew up listening to vinyl. And the thing about vinyl that I loved is you buy the record and you go with a bunch of friends and you'd sit in the basement and you'd have to listen to the whole thing. And you, and these albums in that age, they were worth listening to the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of like you needed to listen to not just the one song, you listened to the whole project. And I think that's been lost with this age of singles and playlists. People just string things that not even related, and nobody wants to dive deep into anybody's project. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's quite easy to also just generalize like the whole culture of like singles and playlists because there are a lot of indie artists who still stick by like the whole oh, album yeah. format. But I think yeah, it's just like the lines are becoming a lot more blurred now as to what's gonna be more successful for an artist's career well all the indie artists that i talked to in the last years have been really focused on the album format and within the mm. indie kind of college radio community that i interview that's where everybody is you know everybody i've talked to that's where they are um, it just seems like mainstream in some genres it seems like albums like if you look at hip-hop you look at like guys like tyler the creator you look at uh, Kendrick Lamar, if you look at certain, um, you know, hip hop oriented bands, they, they have full album concepts. People are willing to listen to Kendrick Lamar's whole project all the way through or, or oh, Tyler, totally. the creator's project all the way through or Brock Hampton's project all the way through. It just seems like in the rock genre, it's kind of dropped off. Yeah. You know, in certain genres, it's dropped off where, you know, you certain, like if within our indie kind of alternative space, it's always been that way. And most people are into buying an album from a band, you know, listen to the whole record. Um, it's just in different aspects of the industry, hoping for more of a wave where you get like a popular artist that does like a Sgt. Pepper <laughs> <laughs> level work, you know. And I guess you could say Kendall Lamar did that 
Well, anyway, it's just a different genre. <laughs> oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, there's also upsides to the whole single format as well. And, like, I wouldn't, like, have heard of a lot of different artists if I hadn't heard of, like, a smash hit that they had. But obviously to each their own. Yeah, this is the whole kind of thing when music television kind of came around. When I was, like, when people used to actually play videos. Uh, it kind of brought in focus like the one-hit wonders of the mm. new wave era. You know, you had bands like Duran Duran that were able to do multiple, you know, hits. And Depeche Modes of the world, they did multiple hits, but there were tons of bands that just had one song, you know. And they, it just had one video or one song or two songs, and that's it. Um, so it was, it was kind of like, you know, in the music, television was like the streaming of our era of that time is like you would hear all these different bands and their hits and you would, you know, get drawn into it. Um, but the difference then is it, it led you to go to the record store and you still had to buy a CD. <laughs> <laughs> so you, even to get that one song, you had to buy the whole record. And I think that's one of the things that's kind of hurt musicians is the financial aspect of, of streaming is a lot of times people don't even download the album. They just stream the song. They don't buy the record they maybe will buy the t-shirt or the poster before they buy the album. <laughs> um, and the one thing I've always asked is like, like, okay, kids are willing to buy a $60 Xbox game, but they won't buy a $10 CD from a band that they say they looked. Um, unless they go to the concert and maybe get an autograph one. Um, <laughs> um, so I think the different strategies for musicians in this time is like, we have to find other sources of income we have to tour we have to do merch we have to do sync licensing so when we go to that strategy like as a musician are you thinking that you have to put money into things that are other than you know direct music to to actually make it as a as a working musician i mean right now i'm quite focused on just getting my music out there and making sure that it's to the level i want it but i think I think it's good that we've become a bit less dependent. I mean, obviously, it's quite sad that a part of that has sort of really ruined the music industry. But I think it's also good that we're sort of being forced to diversify the ways in which um, the music industry makes money. Because I think that at the end of the day, like, we're not too relying on one segment of the industry in case that ever collapses again yeah i think the one thing that's interesting now is it used to be uh with the old industry structure you know you you get you get signed you get an advance you have to pay back that advance they gave you tour support but if after two or three albums you didn't make back that money on the advance you were done mm. in the industry and you couldn't really work anymore you were done that you you weren't you owed money it, you couldn't even continue because you didn't have the money. So what I see today is because bands don't get, you know, most bands are indie. A lot of bands are independent. They can operate and they they can continue to work. Where in a normal record label, you would not continue to get support. And so people are able to continue their projects longer than what people used to be able to do. Oh, definitely. And like the fact so I, that we have other ways to sort of support ourselves as artists, I think that's incredible. Yeah, I just think that you have the long, yeah, but artists that, you know, it used to be that if you didn't break like 200,000, 300,000 copies of a record all the time, your label would drop you. And you got lately, you got artists that can live at 60,000, you know, 40,000 if they continually tour around the world. They, they don't have to get the big numbers um, because they can make, you know, live in doing what they love. And I think that's really, inter that, that, that's always been very interesting to me that, they, you know, that's, that's a different world. Definitely, yeah. So, um, like, in terms of um, what's going on with the coronavirus in, in, um, in the industry where you are right now, are you getting, you're in school, but are you, getting resources are musicians be getting any kind of resources um because of the crisis or everybody's getting the same level of resources do you have like 
it, it, the government or social programs helping musicians where you are? Not really, to be honest. I mean, since most musicians identify as freelancers, like here in the UK, we're sort mm. of just, we're, we're not the priority, if that makes sense. Like there yeah. are a lot of, yes. like you've got these big companies with like hundreds and hundreds of employees who, who obviously need attention. And then you've also got the small businesses as well. And then because, you know, as musicians, we're paid like probably like gig to gig, project to project most of the time. We're not, we're sort of overlooked. Yeah, yeah we're, we're gig workers, freelance workers. You know, it's hard to get support. You know, there's a lot of organizations like in the U.S. that are trying to put together different funding, um, you know, organizations to support you know the workers to like in our industry really got hit it's like all the festivals that got canceled mm. all all the all the you know the the riggers all the uh, engineers all the guys running the boards you know all the roadies the truck drivers like they were suddenly they had all this stuff booked they were going to have like income for, for you know ne- the whole year and now it's, it's nothing it's gone it's, yeah it's and it's like terrible. you know it's yeah, and then the venues in you know in New York and Boston and places, and I'm in the Northeast. They're they're closing now. We don't know if they're going to come back. So that's a whole other thing. Is like okay, well, if these venues don't get supported, like where are we going to play? <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it's like a, yeah, it's like this, that. I mean, it's the last thing on some people's minds. I mean, they love music. They come to music, but sometimes they don't think about what it takes to support artists. And that's been kind of like the rub is like, okay, maybe maybe we shouldn't talk about it, but like it is something that you, people say they love, but then do they really support it? Mm, yeah, that's something I found whilst sort of just like coming into the whole music industry scene. It's like a lot more work goes into getting like music to your ears than than you would you would ever anticipate from like people behind behind the scenes like producing and mixing and mastering and recording engineers and all that to the actual musicians themselves to like like you said roadies and stage managers and just everyone really and it's just been a massive blow yeah yeah it's just like it's a whole big uh you know structure and you know the artists that still have you know their contracts under contracted artists they got their advances they have a little more cushion than everybody that went indie <laughs> and so now we're like, well, that was a good idea, as long as you could work. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but you know, it's, I think people are just finding new ways to to get get the word out. And you know, I try to do this show and get people to hear new artists. Um, and I'm a musician myself, and I take time to do this because this is another way for me to do something. <laughs> um. And it just is a good way to talk to other musicians and see what the pulse is, you know, to see what's going on. Oh, definitely. Because I love being able to have that kind of connection um, to musicians worldwide. And this this technology allows me, you know, I've talked to bands in the Netherlands and Australia and Tokyo and Germany. And it's just interesting. All musicians have the same struggles no matter what country they're in. Um it's the same thing. And musicians, pure, you know, musicians do do music because they love music. Most musicians will will do, do a gig whether they get paid for it or not, <laughs> <laughs> um, just to get the exposure, just to get to where they want to be, get the experience of playing with other people. It's a different type of career. It's not like a banker, <laughs> you know. Not to put down a banker because I've actually done that kind of work, but. Um, uh, it's just a different thing. I feel more satisfied, you know, playing a gig as a keyboardist than I do working on an actuarial spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally. Um, I mean, with yeah. the whole like, like pursuing music career, because before I was, I didn't even really consider music as a career until like, like my songwriting started like getting attention. But before that, like, I, I had like a steady like five year plan set. So then when I did make the switch, it was kind of like everything was so much scarier. <laughs> but at the same time, it's everything has been 10 times more fulfilling because of it. Because 
like I know that every day I'm taking a risk, but every day like I know it's worth it. Yeah, well, like you're you're your own master of your destiny. You know, as a musician, you're art. You know, it's like the life of an artist. My daughter's like you know, is a painter, illustrator. Oh, that's great. You know, she she does like gig work. She just got like accepted for a gallery show in Barcelona. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, and so she does a lot of cool work. She's got online stuff, you know. And it's the life of an artist. People are like, they were, you know, people in my family. Are like, well, that's that's how are you going to sustain that? It's like, well, you know, it that's your dream. If you're an artist, you're a painter or a musician or an actor, you'll find a way. It's not, yeah, it's not like okay, well, it's not like I go to this building nine to five and I got this steady, dependable thing, right? Mm. And everybody thinks that's what you should do. But if you're an artist, people start questioning. They're like, well, how are you going to make money? Or how are you going to do this? Is it, well, you know, if you have a passion, you, you know, you have to take a risk. Definitely. Um, and I think there's the nature of art. People, some people can't get it. They're like, oh, I couldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just interesting, um, you know, that people are that passionate about something. I, I always find I, I'm drawn to creative people. Um, because because of that drive. Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, there's always... So the... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, that's fine, go ahead. Yeah, I'd say there's, like, obviously, like, working in a nine-to-five job, there's a lot of security and a lot of... Well, a lot of us have a day gig or oh, a definitely. side gig or other gig because that's the nature of being a musician. You always have to have something. Yeah, music's uh, expensive. I've got a couple... <laughs> Yeah, I've got. I mean, just to be able to get my gear as an electronic musician, you know, I'm an IT worker, and so I can get my mugs, you know. So, uh, you know, and I know guitar players that were like working for like moving companies, or they're waiters, or they're Uber drivers, or they do something, you know, because because they they got to get that three thousand, four thousand dollar guitar, mm. and you know, nobody's gonna buy it for them. They got to get it. And that's the nature of like most artists, they got to get, they got to buy their instrument. They got to buy some gear or they got to have, they got to pay to get to the gig before they get paid. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's always that we have to have some kind of source of money to even, you know, play in the game. Um, it just would be cool if there was a world that would appreciate us in a, in a way to, you know, give us a more, uh, st- stability without having to take as much risk, but you know we'll take the risk anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so your new project is—it's it, kind of like—are you kind of dependent on working with a bunch of people you can't get to, uh, and you got to wait till you can get to these the the resources, or are you kind of rethinking how you're constructing your project? Um, well, a bit of both, really. So I've been having a lot of online talks with. Uh, my team or I say my team I mean my friends (laughs) Um, to sort of try and finish the album but then also I've been sort of doing a lot more than I would have like on my own to try and sort of rearrange things so that I can actually get my stuff out there yeah so you're learning how to get into your DAW at a deeper level than you probably would have if you could have gone with a recording engineer or a studio. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I've gotten a lot more into um, production and I've had to buy a lot more equipment now so I can sort of like properly have a home studio so I can. No, so you're, yeah. So you're investing with better, better microphones, yeah. better preamps, yeah. better like USB processing to like connect other instruments, you know, that's the nature. Like, I think it's going to force more musicians to, to really try to home build studios. home studios out. You know, I've gone and invested in more condenser mics, more preamps, you know, more tools for mastering. You know, I've got like three or four t- mastering tools now that I got just because if you're an electronic musician, if you got these modes and stuff, it's like because you already got the sound creation machine, it's just a matter of tightening up the processing mm. of it. And once you have it, then you're like, okay, well, I can have my 808 go into a better processor or a better effect system, and then I get a really good sound. If I can tighten it up on the recording, then I don't have to spend $300 or $500 or $1,000 for somebody to master it. I can kind of do most of it myself. Um, 
And so I think a lot of people are looking at the different solutions out there and they're getting cheaper all the time. They're getting more capable. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, so when you go to school, how much of your, your schooling is music theory and how much of it is actually recording processing and like recording engineering? Um, well, I go to school for songwriting. So because I already have a classical background, a lot of it isn't theory, but more, I'd say, musicology, if anything. And then, okay, like yeah, history. yeah, and sort of like a lot of philosophical statements about like like the state of music, the music industry, and sort of where music is headed. And then we also have like modules on like the music industry itself, and like making sure we're all clued up as musicians on our legal rights and all that jazz. And then yeah. when it comes to oh, the actual cool. making music part. We've got um, practical modules where we're like collaborating with a load of other um, students who are also musicians, and then also like the more like um, theoretical part, um, like you mentioned, which is breaking down a song and seeing which components work and which parts don't, and sort of figuring out how we can apply that to our own work. So it's it's quite a mixed bag, which is quite fun actually. Oh, yeah. You're getting into the theory, like, that's, you know, like, as a synthesis, I'm always looking at, you know, additive synthesis versus granular synthesis versus uh, subtractive synthesis. And it's kind of like in the world today, like, you know, the initial world of synthesized everybody was a subtractive synthesis. It was like the Moog mm -hmm. style. Then people got into the Buchla style, which is the additive synthesis. Now, today, everybody's into granular synthesis. But, like, the reality is, like, it's all sound design uses, like, all of these elements. And you kind of use all of them at any time, you know, depending on what you want to do and what you're trying to bring into the table. So, like, sometimes an analog synthesizer makes sense. Sometimes, like, a PCM sample makes sense or a granular sample or, or a digital, fully digital synth makes sense because of what you're trying to service the song. You know, and, and that's why I found as I get older, like people were like, oh, I'm a punk rocker. I'm only going to be punk rock and I can't look at anything else or I'm a new wave or I'm never going to get out of new wave. I think what today seems like to me is like you got to mix genres, mix musical theories and kind of come up with like new mm. things by not being so rigid. Yeah, I mean, with the way that music is now, like a lot of stuff has already been done. So if you want to be noticed, like you have to do something different and a lot of the times that's from learning genres like if you take an artist like um like 21 pilots like they blew up on the um on the sort of indie pop scene indie pop rock scene yeah, yeah. and that was because yeah. like they didn't have like a main defining genre they were dipping their toes everywhere and people loved that so i think that a, oh, yeah. a lot of musicians are having to be a lot more creative about like sort of how they define their sound now yeah i've always been drawn to bands like a radio head oh, or like you know yeah just because the experimentation i mean i've seen them on stage and the guys are like playing with their modular synthesizers live <laughs> <laughs> like re repatching them live you know and, and and just the way tom york you know, seems to just like do these very kind of stream of consciousness. Though he has a roadmap and you know what he's doing, but he's, he's, it, it seems like all their songs are kind of created from like, a, like a jazz fusion type of structure. Um, that's electronic and progressive and all over the place. And I just, I've always been drawn to band like Wilco, you know, uh, you know, anybody that takes like progressive, because progressive nature of progressive music is you're going to mix everything. You're going to have classical, you can have jazz, you can have folk, you can have rock, you can have anything. So you, you could be expansive in your sound and you're not kind of locked in. You, like you, nobody knows which way they're going to go with their next record because they could, they could go this way, they could go that way. It's not, you know, the unexpected is what Yeah, expecting. and we love it for that. <laughs> yeah, about, and see more and more bands, like, you know, are, are taking that approach. Where they're not just okay, you know, there was a time where you had the heavy metal bands like the Rats and the Motley Crues and the Van Halens, and that was like that's that's rock music. And now you got bands like Twenty One Pilots, but that's kind of changing the nature. It doesn't have to be heavy metal, death metal, whatever. It can be whatever it needs to be. Uh, 
totally, yeah. So your your new project, do you feel you're going to have it done by the end of this year, or is it going to creep into 2021? <laughs> well, if anything, I'm going to make sure that it ends this year, if anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you, and you, you think you'll be able to schedule gigs in a stable way more at the fourth quarter of this year, or more like 2021? It'll probably have to be 2021, to be honest. Yeah, so I hear a lot of artists are saying that. I mean, they want it to happen fourth quarter, but they're not sure. Um, so you just kind of take where you can go. You know, it's kind of dependent. We're kind of dependent on the venues being allowed. Yeah, to that's open. very true. And I think that, uh, so that, like, apart from me is very scared that a lot more people are going to be quite reluctant to also go to gigs and concerts now because of this whole situation, which is... Yeah. yeah, I think like I think our our industry is not going to fully stabilize for a while until they're until we actually have a vaccine and we have antivirals, then people you'll get back to pre-virus level. I think before people you know aren't going to trust assistance at a venue with no antiviral and no vaccine. Mm. Uh, you know, some people will, but a lot of people won't. So. I think the industry is kind of be kind of kind of in a holding pattern until we can get that level of uh, confidence. Yeah. So I mean, I know people don't want, probably want to hear that, but <laughs> I, I work with like insurance companies and banks and people who do projections, and th- those are the kind of projections I see in my my day to day. Um. So that's 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 not a good thing. Artists probably want to hear, but that's kind of where it's going. Yeah, I mean, in a situation like this, we've like it's good to be realistic about what to expect in the coming in the coming year. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. But I've been I've been doubling down on writing, and I think a lot of artists, like yourself, like you're 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 doing a lot of you're working on your mm. craft. And I think I've talked to artists. They're like, okay. I'm a guitar player. I always wanted to pick up the bass. I'm going to go and learn the bass because I got time, you know, or I'm, I'm going to double down on trying to tighten up my understanding like of chords and like learn more chords, you know, <laughs> <laughs> how to use them. Uh, so like, I, I'm just talking to all kinds of artists. Like, okay, I'm going to just double down on my craft and lyricists. I'm going to spend a lot of time like reading and writing and tightening things up. So, you know, you can do that or you can stream, you know, uh, Either just go and stream Netflix, <laughs> <laughs> or you can go and double down on. I'm gonna read some Wordsworth and try to integrate it into my lyrics. Mm, totally. I mean, everyone's <laughs> got their own way of way of dealing with the crisis. Yeah. I mean, you you can't do it all the time. He's like, so yeah, if you gotta binge watch Netflix or whatever, um, to kind of relax, it's cool. But we do have time, and as artists, you know, to hone our craft. But a lot of us were on the road so much that they couldn't mm. do that so you can take that this time and you can actually you know hone on your engineering hone on your 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 your, your practicing for different styles that maybe you weren't fully comfortable with but you wanted to dive into it um and i think there's an opportunity to take the time and not just say well i'm in prison because i'm locked down or, or kind of use it to like bring some rigor to your capability oh, definitely. this is <laughs> I think that's been one of the biggest silver linings to this whole situation and like just online seeing all these people who have like maybe never picked up an instrument or people who have sort of like just been in a rut because they haven't had time. It's just, it's great seeing them or try and like use that creative energy now. Oh yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of really cool stuff. I, I mean, I've been hearing a lot of great music coming out. Um, from from the artists that have been in this situation, putting out some really good good stuff, where it's making them maybe think about you know because we're in such a you know critical time, it's it's changing the nature of the content of what they create. And artists have always kind of reflected their surroundings or their time, and so I think there's going to be a lot of great music coming out of this time, even though it's like like a tragic time. People when they get stressed, you know, singer songwriters tend to write some of their best work from like the bad scenario. <laughs> oh, I totally get that. I totally do. 
Yeah, so do you maybe the last question, like when you write your music, do you feel that you write your best song from like being happy as a person or do you write your best song by being not as happy? <laughs> well, I like to think it's because I'm happy, but most of the time, like I like looking at my track record, the best stuff I've written is when I've been absolutely miserable. <laughs> Cuz there's just yeah. so much material. Yeah, you're in the, you're, you're... Yeah, you're in that checkbox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> almost, almost everybody I talk to that's a songwriter tends to say what you said, that their best work comes from, from, from pain or from the things that they experience that aren't, aren't the you know, best times of their life have sometimes created their greatest opportunities as artists. Um, and I think the cool thing about being a musician is the fact that you can take that kind of internal pain that we feel as, as human beings and you make it so other people can can get through their day because you put it into words or music oh definitely and i think that i think that helps everyone you know that they were able to find a way to cope because of their favorite yeah. song i mean there's something or their favorite so art. therapeutic about that of songwriting that i think when we do get into these painful situations like sometimes just getting words down and sort of defining like the situation you're in is can be so can can just be like a massive relief in some sense yeah it's very mm. cathartic you know my songwriting has saved me a lot of money <laughs> with my therapist <laughs> I, I i probably saved a lot of money on diving into projects where i i really you know looked at what was going on i, I looked deep at you know to you, sometimes as a songwriter you kind of got to be very self-aware yeah, self-aware and understand like your ego and your id, not to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but it helps you know, when you're when you understand kind of that those dynamics, and then you can whether you understand, but sometimes it's like it's knowing how to how to take the feeling and translate it into sound or translate it into words, and I think that's what musicians we have that capacity do to do that. Yeah. So I thank you for being on, Ivana. I'm going to put all the links that I have to all your work. And um, uh, I'm not going to use that, that that photograph that I have to get the release for, but I did find some I can use. That you, you, there's nobody else I, I have to worry about with the photos you sent Awesome. Me, right? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Yes. In an hour, uh, the links will be out there. We're on 11 platforms on the net, including Google Play, Spotify, Apple, and anchor itself and so all these things will be out there we're also going to put it on our instagram page with a highlight that will go right to the spotify version of this podcast that's one cool thing that we have that ability so within instagram if we put a highlight up of this podcast it will go directly to the spotify version of the podcast which is free you don't have to be a spotify member to listen to their podcast so all your friends that don't have spotify can still listen to the podcast there that's awesome so thank you for being on the show and once you have your next project ready to go feel free to contact us and we'll we'll talk about your next project awesome thank you so much for having me thank you very much okay thank you have a good day you too